Welcome back to another episode of the Rag Report podcast with me, Sean Anderson. This is my daily bulletin show where I bring to you recruitment owners, advisors, suppliers, even investors around the world who are prepared to give up some of their time and expertise and share what the hell's going on in their life as we all work out this new digital world that we've been forced into. Um, and by doing so, I'm hoping that you know we're all going to come out of this stronger by sharing and collaborating every single day. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Amir Bormand. Amir is the Managing Director of Elevano, which is a specialist tech recruitment business headquartered in Southern California, USA. We're in the USA, um, and uh, they, they, they specialize in recruiting techies, engineers into um, cloud-based environments, so anything from AWS all the way to DevOps. Um, me and Amir have had a relationship online for a while now. We've shared some, um, some messages on LinkedIn for about a year, I think. Um, he, uh, he's also a fellow podcaster, definitely a forward thinker, and uh, someone I'm super excited to interview. Um, it's late in the day here in the UK, so I've, I've had to, well, it's six o'clock, it's not late, but I, I normally record earlier, so uh, it's actually quite nice. It's the last thing I'm going to do today. Um, so before I get into the chat with Amir, quick message from our sponsor, Rise Recruitment Ventures. You may have heard now, I'm mentioning these guys a lot. They are a recruitment investment business that are taking the expertise from growing and selling their own agency back in 2016 and now injecting capital expertise plans to the next generation. So they're looking at the guys that haven't even started an agency or the people that are in the early stages of growth um, who want to supercharge that to the point where they can plan to scale and exit. John and Alex aren't messing about. They're not working with everyone. They're looking at a very specific type of person. They say that the person they want to work with is someone that would be successful anyway, but they can, make, they can help them get bigger and better faster with their help. If you think that sounds like you, then reach out to them via www.riserv.co.uk and uh, they'll get in touch to have an introductory phone call. Right, back to the show. Amir, welcome to the RAG Report. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to have you on. Um, and uh, in true rag report style, my first question, I'm a bit jealous you're in Southern California and the weather's better, but can you just paint the picture for our listeners what your life is like right now? So probably like a lot of people, I am working from home. Uh, we have a uh, we have a s almost seven-year-old uh, daughter who uh, likes to find ways to inter interrupt and intrude, but you know, she, she doesn't know yet. And uh, just trying to manage uh, a flow, a schedule. It was really challenging. I think the first couple of weeks going through this, and then finally, you know, between my wife and 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 what she's doing as a as a marriage family therapist, trying to figure out how to balance, you know, when she can be on a call, when I can be on a call. Just trying to come up to some normalized schedule was the biggest obstacle. I think now um, we're there. The daughter's uh, first grade's finished, so now she's going to be completely free. Uh, so we're going to have to now go back and, and replan how to actually address, um, you know, what we're going to do with that extra time she's going to want uh, from us, apparently. Well, that's, you know what, like, I, I haven't got children. I've got a French bulldog that before this, I just whipped into the living room. My wife was laying on the sofa while the dog was laying next to her, both staring at me like, are you going to come out of that room at some point? I was like, not yet. Um, but it is... It's not normal, is it? Like we've all worked from home or most people have worked from home. Whereas working from home when everyone's at home, it's a completely different dynamic. And one that I think we're all getting used to. Not sure everyone loves it or not. Are you, um, what's, what's the state of play in, in Southern California right now? What are the, what's the law telling you you can and can't do? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's changing. Um, 
I think what the law is telling us and maybe what I'm comfortable with are two different things. I think the law is telling us we can start going about a bit more. Um, we, we, you know, Disneyland, we have Disneyland passes. My daughter loves going and that's something that's been closed for several months with good reason. They're planning to open up and we've actually been, you know, my wife and I've been talking, what are we going to do? She's going to see her friends going and, you know, taking a, you know, a seven-year-old at that point into an environment where it's like you're going to touch things, but hey, don't touch your face, don't touch your eyes, don't touch your mouth. That's a, that's a massive challenge. So we're, we're trying to be very cautious in terms of as things are opening up, what to expose her to. I, I'm more concerned. We're more concerned about her than us. Like I could imagine, you know, outdoor restaurant, you know, wife and I will do a date night, but I'm not sure our daughter will still probably end up like out in that environment until we kind of see how things are looking for numbers and whatnot. We had um, in the UK, the lowest number of deaths yesterday since lockdown. So since 23rd of March, I think um, there was like 50 deaths, which we're talking, there was about a thousand deaths like four weeks ago. So it's it's coming down Scotland, um, Wales, I think, or Northern Ireland recorded no deaths, which is good. So the signs are positive and that's even with the lockdown being released. Uh, what I'm still yet to see is the restaurants, bars. That, that I think that in this country will take a long time to come back. Are you, is it, there's probably a bit more opportunity for outdoor eating and drinking in LA than there is here, right? Or in California? Because of the yeah, I, yeah, the beaches, you know, they've always been packed out here. Like, I mean, you know, people are, they're really two camps. People who, who are really abiding by it and they're sticking to everything that's being told and, and the other group that just doesn't care. Mm. And I was uh, reading last night that Arizona's numbers are going through the roof and they're already preparing for critical, you know, scale. And, and you look at that and you're like, well, what's going to happen here is, you know, I think gyms are starting to open up, you know, in the next week, you know, summer school programs are open, you know, they're going to try to isolate kids in summer school. And I just don't understand yet, like how, you know, how all that dynamic is going to work again, I think everyone's going to make their own decision. But here, we definitely have a let's push forward mentality and just see how it works out. And, you know, I know other countries, they're seeing their numbers dip while they're making those decisions. I, I guess our numbers aren't going through the roof the way they were maybe two months ago. But nonetheless, I, I don't think we're out of the clear. I, I don't see us getting to 50 deaths, maybe per state for a while. I think it's going to take, <laughs> it's going to take us process. Potentially. Well, I, yeah. I hope it goes quick. Let's, um, I think we've all had enough COVID chat for a while. So let's go. go back and let's, let's talk about your agency. So according to LinkedIn, it says you're about nine years old. So um, tell us the, the overview, short story of how you got started and, and what, why did you launch the business? Yeah, so actually, uh, my background is uh, I came from software engineering, business intelligence. I was uh, an engineer for the longest time. I got into running a BI consulting practice. Um, and I got the sales bug and I was like, this is cool. Um, could I do this for myself? And uh, my brother's, you know, a salesperson, we put our heads together. We were like, Hey, let's give this a shot. Um, but we started as a true BI engineering consulting company. We take projects, we deliver projects. And at some point uh, we started realizing the clients were asking us to help fill gaps of employees. And we had no idea where recruiting really was. We were like, well, is that like a project or you just need a body? Like we, we quite didn't get it. Yeah. And uh, slowly realized we can make the same money um, without taking the risk on, which seemed really appealing. And before we knew it, we morphed into a recruiting company. So um, I think the last maybe six, seven years, we've done only recruitment and, and staffing type work. So it's been a learning experience with zero recruiting experience previous to that. So we've been a little bit of trial by fire, but 
yeah, here we that's are. That's awesome. That's really, I mean, I love that. Like how you, people say falling into the industry, like so many people, no one wakes up and says, I want to be a recruiter. Like no, no one has ever grown up going, I'm going to be a recruiter tomorrow. Um, but you know, we all fall into the industry in different ways that I was in Australia. I was, I landed as a backpacker as a, I was a school teaching backpacker that landed in Australia. Fucking sick of living out of a backpack. I hated the backpack. Like, I was like, yeah, I'd planned to go up the East coast and I was like, I can't do it. Like, I've had enough traveling so i um we got like really crappy hospitality jobs and all these different jobs no offense to anyone but i i just hated it and then one of my friends got a job in recruitment and i was like what is that and then we went crazy in melbourne to get a job we just phoned every nice. company and bd'd our way in um but, so i kind of i fell into it but i almost forced my way into it it's a weird one um so how long did you say since you turned into a true recruitment company it's been yeah i think the first two years or so we were completely consulting work um and then we actually sat down one day and we started doing the math of you know our PL and we were looking at what you know maybe year two three you know we're still going to take work we just were still growing and somebody was like will you help us find a you know a candidate whereas we don't want to pay the 200 an hour consulting fees and we're like okay and we did the PL on what that would look like and we we're like it's the same margin. Uh, it wasn't too dissimilar, but we didn't have to own the risk of actually delivering the project and dealing with a chargeback of hours on a project where a client wasn't happy and rework and all that kind of nonsense. So we're like, hey, this seems like a, you know, a good path. And um, I'm a technologist. I can still kind of dabble in that world kind of, you know, ancillarily, even though I'm not going to, you know, you know, be hands on or anything. But it just seemed like an interesting path to take. And we thought maybe we could leverage, you know, the, the fact that I did have engineering background to, to our advantage a bit. Yeah. How's that? So how was that transition for you personally going from doing the work to finding people that do the work? You know, I, I think I relate well to the candidates. It's, it's a different, it's, it's a different sales process. Like when you're selling a BI like project to somebody, a business intelligence project, it's a, you know, you're getting them to commit to the dot, you know, dotted line. They're, they're releasing funds to fund a project and you have a PO to bill against. With recruiting, I felt like the sales side of it didn't really start until you started looking for a candidate. Somebody just saying, here's an open job order really wasn't any, it wasn't a sale to me. So it was until well, we delivered the candidate. Unless you're on a retainer, you're not getting paid. Unless you're on a retainer. Yeah. So that was a huge, you know, eye-opening thing. We're like, okay, well, that's nice that, you know, you're giving us an MSA. I was like, this is, this is an MSA. Yeah. And this was a big difference for us of, you know, a, a, an agreement previously was you're signing a $50,000 agreement for us to do work. And then now it's like, well, here's an opportunity. And it, it took a little time for us to really understand some of the nuances of, of you know, where to look, how to look. But, you know, we kind of got it and, and we haven't really looked back to go back to consulting just because I think, again, looking at the P&L, it wasn't too dissimilar. And, and I still, you know, have friends who are in the consulting industry and, we compare notes and I don't know if their margins are much different than, than a recruiting companies, but obviously different, different IP that they are building versus us. I'm interrupting this episode to bring to your attention our second sponsor. That's Odro. Odro is calling on the recruitment industry in, in absence of organized events to take part in what's called the Active Recruiter Challenge. The idea is that we'll all get together on the same day, Friday the 10th of July, to run either a 10K or a half marathon. Um, this is a combined effort from all recruiters to run from their homes and follow any route you want up and down the country. We're hoping that together we can raise money for a teenage cancer trust. Um, and 
In order to do so, we want all runners to contribute £25 in sponsorship. Fitness and charity, what a combination. To get involved, sign up to the Active Recruiters Club on Strava, then join the 10K or the half marathon from there. Strava will then track our times so that we can use them and find out how we are competing with our friends and colleagues. There's also a runner's pack with numbers and wristbands which will be sent out from Odro once you get involved. Finally, see Odro's Active Recruiters blog for full details. Everything will be shared in a link to this podcast. It, it took a little time for us to really understand some of the nuances of, of you know, where to look, how to look, but yeah, you know, we kind of got it and and we haven't really looked back to go back to consulting just because I think, again, looking at the P&L, it wasn't too dissimilar. And, and I still you know, have friends who are in the consulting industry and we compare notes and I don't know if their margins are much different than, than a recruiting companies, but obviously different, different IP that they are building versus us. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there is, I mean, I've gone the other way. So I went from being a recruiter to a marketeer and running a marketing agency, right? And, and so the benefits are the same. I understand the industry. I can relate to the clients really well. But I realized very fast that I'm doing a lot. We do a lot more work for less money than we did as a recruiter, like without a doubt. I could earn more yeah. money on my own just doing deals than I can building teams that have to deliver the projects. And then the same thing you've just said, you know, the projects, the challenges, the timelines, the there's always things in there that recruitment was actually more simple. Um, albeit I do enjoy getting paid from day one as opposed to waiting yes. for the no win, no fee mindset. Um, so how did you like, I'm just curious when you, when you go, I know you're, you're asking me questions, but just curious for, yeah, for a second it. for you is when you go sit down now and you're like, I have to convince the CEO of an agency to sign on the dotted line. What's the mentality difference versus trying to secure an agreement just to work on an opportunity back in your recruiting days? uh it's it's oh good that's a really good question i think for me in in recruitment i I believed in myself right i used to back myself i knew my agency was good but i used to fucking back myself i used to sit there and be like look i know i i'm fully versed in what you're trying to do i know exactly who you need and i i know i can solve this problem i've done it time and time again it was it was black and white effectively whereas marketing is more of a there is black and white, but there's a lot of gray in it as well. There's a lot of belief in it. There's a lot of vision in it. Like, because it's almost like, you know, most people are, are looking for something they've never had. Everyone's typically recruited someone. Everyone knows what that process is going to end up like. But when it comes to marketing, we're, in our sector, it's, it's a bit, it's, it's crazy for me now in COVID because I'm looking at a sector that more people are talking about marketing, branding's on the topic, you know, content's going through the roof. Three years ago when I was banging on about Hoxo, it was like, I was getting calls all day off people going, what the hell are you talking about? Like education calls and no interest in buying it. So it was like, it's amazing how much people have changed. So I hope I've had an impact on that by telling people what I thought was coming and it's now coming. And I also think now, like my, my vision now, three years ago was that recruiter agencies needed a marketing play. Now I think every recruiter needs a marketing play. Now I think it's like, is it a desk level? It's so important. It's not just at a company level, it's both. So it's like, you know, training your recruiters now, you can train them on the recruitment job, but have you got a, a marketing social media plan around what they do? Because it's, you know, your podcast, your content, these things actually Absolutely. contribute to the, whereas I was billing just under a million pounds on my own without any marketing play and didn't need it. Whereas in a few years, I think you'll need it. I think you'll have to have it. Um, so I, agree. I guess to answer your question, 
I'm, I'm asking for a bigger commitment up front now. It's a solution, yeah. it's a solution sale. It's a team. It's a plan. But yep. there's also, um, I think it's like a, for, for the guys we work with, they get it. They get the, fu- the future's coming. So it's, it's just about being on the, making sure that we're the right partners to be on the journey with them. Um, yep. Do you know what? I love how you've turned the tables. Maybe, maybe you should just interview me for the next half an hour. Eh? There you um, go. <laughs> but look, let's, so you and, so talk us about the structure of Elevano. Like you, you, you mentioned you and your brother. Is it just you two? Is it more people? How's it, how's it yeah. Yeah. We, we were more people. Um, and, and I think the one thing that I've always been cognizant of, you know, we, we represented, always represented the lion's share of revenue, which has always been the biggest concern through the, you know, six or so years, seven years of being a full on recruiting company. And, and we've always been trying to figure out how to scale that. Obviously, I think when someone leaves a successful company, whether it's, you know, Michael Page or an S3 and they go start off, they have seen the template of what they're going to do. For us, it was more like, what did Amir not like when he was a recruit, when he was being headhunted? Yeah. And let's just do the opposite. So there's a little bit of uh, trial and error figuring things out. And we've always been trying to, you know, I'm an engineer, so I want to see if it's scalable before I scale it. So I've always been trying to find and tinker. And, um, and while the business was good, you know, you're, you're not going to fix what's not broken. You know, money's coming in. And I always thought in the back of my head, when something happens, when there's the next recession, I'm going to use that as the pit stop to address some things that I know are, are going to change our ability to scale moving forward. Because I've learned what does and does not work. But when, when, the, when, the, when the plane's in the air, you're not going to have it land because it just takes so much fuel to get it back up again. So, um, so we've actually kind of used this opportunity. I think I, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to you that, you know, we're trying to, you know, fix some of the nets that we know there were some glaring issues that were obvious that we had identified. But again, um, you know, right now it's just the two of us as a third person, but you know, there's not a lot of business being transacted in the U S at scale. So we're like, we can handle pretty much anything being thrown our way at this point. Hey, until yeah, we, we see the bump up. A message from our final sponsor, Vincere. Vincere, if you don't know, is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform for recruitment and staffing businesses globally. Now, I first heard about Vincere, it feels like a while, it was about a year or so ago. And this business came out of nowhere from speaking to recruitment agencies. And, and I've always asked them what CRM they use when, I, when dealing with them from a Hoxo perspective. The same players usually used to come up, but this word Vincere kept coming up, and I was like, "Okay, I've heard this two, three, four, five times. It must, it must be, uh, must be an interesting brand." Um, and now I hear Vincere almost as much as any other brand out there. So I did my research, and what I love about Vincere is they're looking to partner and invest in the same types of organisations that Hoxo do, which is the future high-growth recruitment business, what I call progressive owners. Um, these guys are putting a product out there to level the playing field and help smaller businesses and those growing to edge over their competition. Um, it's, it's proven to be a disruptor in the space. Um, more and more people are using this, this software globally. They recently broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as the market leader on stellar reviews from users. So the, the, the recruiters that are using Vincere are raving about it. They've got five global offices headquartered in Vietnam. So they, if you've got uh, an office anywhere in the world, they've got this follow the sun methodology. So the support is absolutely top notch. Um, and also by sponsoring the RAG, 
they're giving a unique offer to our listeners. If you're listening um, and you want to get involved, go to vincerias, V-I-N-C-E-R-E dot I-O forward slash rag, where they're going to be offering you a unique exclusive deal because you listen to the rag podcast. Get in touch today. You know, there's not a lot of business being transacted in the U.S. at scale. So we're like, we can handle pretty much anything being thrown our way at this point. Yeah, until yeah, we, we see the bump up. What, um, what, when you're thinking about, so you mentioned a really interesting point there that you flipped what you didn't like, right? And I think that's yep. so clever. And, you know, it's probably where tech recruiters do really well coming from a sales background at times because they force shit through that a techie wouldn't right? They yep. can, they can negotiate on their behalf. They can push those salaries. They can, you know, they can do things that don't necessarily come natural, but also that on the flip side of that, they can, they can struggle to build rapport. They can struggle to understand the challenges. They can struggle to engage them in the first place. So how are you using your background and personality and style as in your own advantage? What things have you done that's worked so far? Yeah. yeah. So basically I think, you know, at our, at our peak, I think we were eight people, nine people. And, and I think the basic philosophy of the organization was, you know, I said the biggest thing I didn't like was I always felt that I was a transaction for somebody. I could, you could feel it. Like you could just tell, like you said, somebody's trying to push it through. They're trying to convince you. And it's like, listen, I'm not going to make a decision because you're trying to make me make a decision. I, I have to make the right decision. And now as a recruiter, you're like, oh, just make the decision. <laughs> uh, my way it doesn't always work, but but when you're in that seat and and you understand that, I think the one thing I've always tried to communicate to to staff was, listen, they're not going to make a decision because you're going to push them. If you push them, there's a good chance they're going to really firm up and actually push back and not even re-listen to you. So, partner, and and sometimes if it's not the right role, take the take 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 it and just walk away and let the person know that there's a better opportunity and they're going to trust you for and they'll come back. So I, I think there is a common thing was just do the right thing and, and maybe it all comes back full circle. The reason I'm smiling there is I had a quite a similar style. I was probably more pushy and punchy than, than you come across. But I, uh, I remember there was one guy in the, in the market and I, I used to pride myself on genuinely like making quick decisions and saying, look, I don't think you're right for this job. And I'm not, yep. there's a lot of agencies that would hold on to candidates and say, yeah, we'll represent you. And, just to, just to cover the market and then they wouldn't send them and they'd only send the ones they wanted. And, you know, ev everyone thinks they're in for this. And in, in the contract market in London, it's very, very right. And, you know, I'm not saying I've never done that because that'd be a sure. lie. But on the whole, especially towards the end of my days, I was very clear, like, you know what? You're not right for this job. I'm, I'm not going to put you forward. And I, and I remember putting this candidate into the, and I was about to put him in the mix and I went and met him and I pulled him out. And I said, I said to him at the end of the meeting, I'm really sorry you're not right for the job. I told him who the, can, the client was and everything. I was like, you're not right. Um, and he said, why? I said, the client's going to eat you alive. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I guarantee when you meet this hiring manager, big angry Scottish guy, um, <laughs> he's told me what he wants. I've placed yeah. people time and time again. I, I'm really sorry. You're too nice. You're going to get eaten alive. Anyway, um, he's like, I'm so pleased you said that. Like, Thank you so much. Shook my hand. Like really, in, in, really like honest Anyway, he phoned up another agent the same night, got his CV across, got the fucking job. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, you know, I'm walking around like dead proud of him. Oh, what are you going to do? Really proud what of him. Just told yeah. him, to be honest with you, he's not going to get it. Anyway, the next week he's got the job. And, uh, oh, dear. 
Yeah, we, you know what, he still said, I really respected you for it, but I didn't want to take your word for it. So I was like, fair play. Um, so it can back. It happens though. Yeah, it happens. And, and you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think for the most part, most of my recruiting experiences are really positive. Like, I mean, I had some really great recruiters I worked with and there's a couple that, you know, I'd always, if I had a referral, I'd send that to them just because I know they take care of you. And I, I think now that you're on this side of the world, it's just realizing that that person has such a big life decision to make. And if you were in that seat, you'd want to make the best life decision for you. And it might go against you sometimes, but it's like any sale. I mean, if you're in, in, even in a services oriented, you know, situation you're in now, you're selling a solution that it just might go against you. Like, I mean, you can't do anything about it. And I think as a recruiter, because the fee is so big and you put so much effort, you start weighting so much emphasis on just getting it across the line. And I think sometimes we lose focus of, well, what is the right thing for this person? Like getting it done. Uh, will the client be happy? Will the candidate be happy? Will they both come back? And I think sometimes that's a, you know, when you heat of the moment and you're trying to hit numbers, it's, it's, it's a challenge, man. Like this is, this is not an easy industry. No, in bigger companies with targets and, you know, management layers that can just be pushed down and down and down. What, what works? So is there, is there a particular way in which you think, your style or your background helps you actually open the door to candidates. Is there, is there a way in which you're, you're, you've crafted that you, you don't need to tell us your ins and outs of all you see, but still, I think. Sure. At at one point I wanted to test the theory and I said, you know, I dislike the fact that every recruiter always said I have a client and I said, it's, they distrust recruiter candidates that they're going to go around them and i go my my thinking my hunches you know from my days even even friends in the in, you know as engineers still i go no one does that mm-hmm. i said it really does it's, it's like a folk tailor it's some kind of myth that that you know people go around you all right maybe percentage yes but i said i want to test if we start emailing candidates and we fully disclose everything up front just in the initial email and say this is the client this is what they're looking to pay. This is the role. This is the address. Like as much information as we can get them as though we literally were in ARPO and, and we were embedded and we were working internal as, a, uh, as an internal recruiter. Amazingly, the numbers were crazy good. Like obviously if somebody went around us, they went around us, but that would have been the type of person we we're dealing yeah, with anyways. Depending on, depending on the relationship with, you, with the agency. You exactly. Know, like, again, as well, like if I'm recruiting now, like I've got an agency on a role for me now and the candidates that they've represented message me on LinkedIn during the candidate, the process to say, hey, like I'm looking kind of thing. But because I've got such a good relationship with the agent, like for me, even if even if that I, as soon as I know he's spoken to them, I would still respect him anyway, because that's his job. Um, but I, I get that. And how has that responded? Is that has that been positive for you? Yeah, we actually would, we actually would tell our clients, we say, this is what we're going to do. So they're like that. No, no other recruiting agency is doing that. And we're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do it just FYI. If, if somebody comes through that comes direct, you know, I want to be able to show you that we might have reached out first. And they said, we understand we'll, we'll give you credit. We're not trying to battle you on that. And again, being in the tech sector, you know, the candidates are such a, you know, difficult thing to land anyways, they're willing to pay. So it's not that they're going to hold back the fee. So, um, I think we became that became an extra tool in the toolbox that we used. And um, depending on the client, depending on the relationship, we'll use that still. Um, and, and depending on how quickly we need to move and, and again, those things. Plat- but it was just interesting. What about platforms? Because obviously LinkedIn is the platform of choice for most, but that I don't, I'm not convinced all techies are spending that much time on LinkedIn unless they now, are looking. Now, you know, the, the thing is LinkedIn there, you know, well, 
they're on it. They just won't respond, which is amazing. They see it. But as an engineer, they're like, well, it's not relevant to me. I don't need to respond. So they just don't think they need to respond if it's not relevant. And I think a big, big problem with, the, with LinkedIn for us, particularly on the engineering side, is they only turn it on when they're looking. And at that point, you're already late. They're 15, 20 interviews. You know, they're going to be saturated with the schedule to even get that candidate to the table might not be worth our effort. So I think for us, we, you know, I, we use Twitter quite a bit. Um, we DM quite a few candidates. You know, I actually landed a, a guest on the podcast uh, from a DM uh, that I reached out and we just got a conversation. She was like, I'll be on. I was like, you know, she's a VP of engineering at a prefix software company. And um, yeah, I, I think there's other platforms for LinkedIn, but I think honestly, I still see email for the, for the, for us, for the engineering sector, email is still king for them. That's crazy. It's on their terms. It's on their terms. They look at it. They'll, they'll, they've told me, I've seen your email. I liked your email. I'll get back to you whenever I'm looking. And they're like, I have a folder. I'm going to stick you in that folder of the recruiters that I'll reach out. And I go, people yeah <laughs> that's all i can ask for is that when you're looking just come back to me i'll appreciate that more than you you know you just you know whatever right now so that, uh, see, that is that is a level of patience i think a lot of recruiters struggle with but, but but that is where you're winning that space if you can if you can live like the candidate you can understand the candidate then massive it's huge it's so Dude, we crush the we crush our you know uh, the, the the secret sauce behind it i, I can't get into it, but we're uh, we get close to 90 percent email open rates on our candidates and close to about 55 to 60 percent response rates so wow um that is so incredible. we don't tend to recruit like we don't tend to email blast anyone like we don't go here's 500 candidates you know we we handpick them the message is very carefully tra- crafted to each one and um and i think you know, again, because we know the, the funnel, what the top of the funnel is going to, what we need. We just don't need that many messages to get to the candidates that we need to. Mate, it's amazing. In terms of um, the content, the community side of, I think that's one area that techies do tend to think about is, you know, meetups, Slack channels. Yep. There's a lot of, there's quite a lot of, there's a lot of innovation and collaboration in the space. It has to be right for the, yeah for the Silicon Valley and all these areas to, to be flourishing. So what, 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 I know you've created a podcast. What, how yep. have you found, or what have you, what's your experience been in terms of producing content and building communities? Yeah, I, I love the podcast. I mean, the Talent Tango, we, we did a, we did a handful of podcasts. We did daily. So we were recording like you daily. My brother and I were in it and it became a lot. And Sorry. the feedback was, was, was too much content. And, um, what we started looking at was going, are we really providing value? Like I was getting, I, we probably had five, six other guests that we just said, we need to pin this until we really understand how to craft better value for, um, for the community. Cause I was like, yes, we're recording. It's all fun. I love talking, you know, you know, interviewing is great, but unless the, the right value is being found, I don't, I didn't see a, a reason to push. And I think the one thing that I saw was they, there's a common question that, that the group's trying to understand. You do a great job with knowing as a recruiter, what agency owners are looking for. And I think with a lot of the talent podcasts, interviewing somebody just for the sake of interviewing doesn't really add any value to that community. There's got to be a distinct, you know, driver, distinct, you know, value they get for you to continue. So we kind of put a pin in it and we've been recrafting what that podcast will come back at. I mean, we did get a decent, you know, when we did it, we were getting a couple hundred listens a a week, an episode, and and we enjoyed it. And and you mentioned the compound effect of recording daily. We saw that. So as we were releasing daily 10, 15 minute segments, um, we saw a big spike, but then it it just didn't fit for me. 
The one thing I do think, though, is like, you know, 200, let's just say it's 200 people, right, a day, yeah. listening a day, all week. If you line them up in the street, that you'd, that, that, that's, it's a really substantial amount of people, right? Yes, you, fill a, you fill a hall of 200, there's like 200 people turned yeah. up. I go and speak yep. at, I spoke at the Recruitment Expo, 250 people. The photo makes me look like I'm on stage and, but yet when it's a number, like I had a guy today message me going, Sean, I'm only getting 500 players on my podcast per week. I was like, how many, how many episodes you went? One. I was like, that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah. 500 a week. Like five, yeah. Get them all in a room now and take a photo. You look like the Don in your market. Like, so it is amazing how, I don't know, LinkedIn at the moment, I think, and, and, just views the sheer reach of what we can achieve by yep. like, I could put a picture of my dog up and get 30,000 views in a day on LinkedIn. Yep. That, that actually I think affects how people val like see the value of the, the audience that is sometimes it's just vanity. Whereas yeah. a really a super engaged small audience in my opinion, absolutely is super valuable. Um, yeah. I, I, I think what's interesting about the podcast is a lot of people are trying to figure out, I mean, the biggest game that we're playing as recruiters is we're trying to get somebody on the phone just to listen to our voice, right? With a podcast, essentially, if somebody's listening, they've heard your voice. Now they might not, you know, it's, it's the macro, it's the long tail. They might not respond. They may never respond, but at least now your voice, your thoughts, your IP, whatever it is, is in their mind. They know who you are and how many, you know, he said the 500, that's pretty darn good off your first episode. Like how, how long would it take you to talk to 500 people and have them just hear an elevator pitch about you? It'd take you a long time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. It's all they got to keep going, whatever he's doing. Yeah, no, trust me. I, I said that to him today and he was like, he knows if he's listening, he will be, he'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so in terms of, have you looked at anything online, like social communities or anything around meetups or events? Cause there's a thriving sector in where you, where you're based. Yeah, that's, that's our, so that's our area we hadn't done a lot. Um, you know, we were general tech recruiting for, for the longest time. And I think it became very difficult to say what area you're going to focus to build community. You need to, you need to be more narrow. And I think that's been the one thing the last couple of months we've been um, focusing on is how do you get narrow so that you can produce one type of content to fill the need for one community. You can't be a little bit of everything to everybody, then you're just lost. So I think that's really where our focus has been is to find out what voice and again, you know, going back to the podcast, we'll bring it back along with the technical podcast, just because, again, it's got to fit the community. The pieces have to fit together to be worthwhile to do. But I think community to me, uh, I know in the UK, a lot of recruiting companies do start, do meetups and they, and you see it on their websites and everything. And it's interesting to me is I actually think the UK market is far more advanced in terms of some of their tactics than we are in the U S and that can, I think it's because of the concentration you guys have to survive. And I think you guys are probably like a year ahead. At yeah, least. Well, look, There's people in the UK now opening U S offices and then raving about the, the way it's running. Like, you know, they, they, they can take a guy in the UK billing 200,000 and he's instantly billing half a million dollars just by doing the same job. And yep. well, I think the sheer competition over here, like, you know, you got 60 million people in a, in a country half the size of California. Yeah. But, um, you know, 35, 40,000 recruitment agencies. There's nine and a half thousand agencies in the, in the city of London. And, you know, if you look down the street in, in, in any direction, there's a share, there's a co-working office with recruiters in it. Like it's everywhere. Right. For sure. So, but yeah, that's what I love about it. It's thriving. It's bustling. Everyone's trying to make their way and, um, it, that competition breeds quality and, and new ideas and innovation. And yeah, I've got a few clients that 
before we even met them, we're already really strong in, this, in, the, in the event scene. I think taking it online is where they've struggled. The offline is more natural. It's more, you know, it's what they've always done. Um, I think COVID, like we've got one client that we've, I think they've had over 5,000 uh, attendees to webinars in COVID, like candidate attendees. Wow, they, recruit, they recruit PAs and EAs into the private equity market. And, you know, they got Tony Blair's PA, the ex-Prime Minister of the UK's old PA on a, on a webinar. And they, they've done all these cool things. And they're getting like, last week, 991 candidates on a webinar. That's community. That's a real, yeah, all the, every candidate has got the same job title. Pretty much. I mean, Interesting. What you said to me before then was so, as if you were speaking my language, like the more niche you, you go with this, I think the long term you'll win. Like I can see why if you've recruited five, six, seven things and you're making, you're making money, you're so scared to, especially even if it's just your online view, you're so scared yeah. to narrow that down and, and potentially turn other people off. But, you know, at some point, long term, you'll win because you'll have that repeatable process. You'll have the community of the authority. And you, you, every time you get vacancies, you'll be able to recycle. The work you've done in the past will come back into play. Um, but I think it's interesting. I don't think offline you need to go as niche straight away. Online, I think if you can be online niche, Offline, do whatever you want behind the scenes. You don't have to shout about recruiting's it. Recruiting's recruiting. Yeah, yeah. Recruit, recruiting's recruiting. I think yeah, yeah. I think where the recycling of the candidate bit is really where the power of having some scope of what you're doing is important. Because let's say just in, in technology, there's 30, 40, 50 different types of roles. And once you start recruiting in 10, 15, you, you never recycle the same candidates. And I think that's where, you know, I think if you're slightly more focused and disciplined and saying, I'm just not going to run you know, I start calling it, it's a, it's a unretained contingent search is really what it is. When the guys like go recruit X and you haven't done it for six months, it's a retained search for them. You're just getting paid if you, if you, if you play. So I think that recycling of the candidates is something in the U S we don't do as well. Um, but I do think the, the online niching is really where we're focused on as well. Cause I think that's where, um, if you establish brand and typically what I've seen brand in our industry here is large companies in the u.s have brand many small companies don't get to brand like you know sure tech systems robert half randstad they all have brand because they're just so big but how many companies are really well known for what they do a, a company of five or six that's really difficult you know are they really the first person you go oh, i need this engineer these guys crush it let's call them that never happens nobody knows that you're you're the expert in your field but they can if you put the time and effort in. You've got the opportunity then, haven't you? The opportunity there. Sure. Yeah, Yelp, Yelp lets uh, you know, the, the donut shop mom and pop 30 miles off the road you know, have a line out the door on the weekend because the word of mouth is there, the online presence is there. So why can't a recruiting company have the same effect of being known for just one particular thing? And I'm, they'll ask you, I mean, hey, you do this, do you also work on these? You're going to say yes. You're not going to say no anyway. So you just, you yeah. just want to open that door a little bit. Easier. Yeah, it's, 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 it's then the danger of being a product of your own success and really being vanilla. And then, then you know, but th th there's a balance to it. I completely yeah. agree. Um, it sounds like you've got a similar futuristic thought process around the sector to what I have. Um, so that's my final question. What, what does the future of Elevano look like? How do you see your, your business evolving up post-lockdown? Yeah, I, I think I think what I'd like to see from us is have that online niche focus where when somebody comes to the website, they can't tell we do recruiting. 
they just go, this is a repository of content and they also have jobs. What is it that they do? Oh, okay. They happen to be a recruiting company. To me, that would be, that would be, be my ideal. And I think that's kind of what we've been sowing some of the nets in the last couple of months focusing on is to, to get to the point where we know which horse we're going to bet on and, uh, and, and kind of go that direction. Do you see, do you see headcount growth being the plan or is it more around tech and automation? So, so I, I think, I think we will add headcount. I think as a recruiting company, we have to, I, I mean, there, I think the automation, you know, there's a lot of the hub spots and all that stuff that help with, with uh, getting some scale of automation, but I still think, uh, I, you know, AI is going to make it a big impact, but I think we're ways off before it's actually tangible. And most of the people we recruit for are trying to automate themselves out of jobs, interestingly. So it's, a, it's an interesting uh, view of it, but I, I definitely think we'll add headcount. All right. Well, look, um, Amir, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I've, uh, you've got a busy day ahead, I'm sure. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like your, your approach is definitely different to a lot of the people I speak to, to the industry itself. It's a bit like, you know, Looking at how Uber disrupted the taxi service, you know, the guys who run in taxi ranks were probably not very technical, yet techies come in and transform that industry. And I think there's a lot of people looking at our space now saying, I've been on the receiving end of this process. How can I disrupt it? And there's a million, million and one tech companies coming out that are trying to do it differently. Um, but actually, I like the fact you're, 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 you're still doing the job just with a slight different angle, with a different approach, with a different mindset. Um, and I can see why people will respond. I'm definitely going to want to pick this back up in a few months when, when we're all, everything's a bit more settled. Um, I want to, I want to dig in again um, and have a, have a deeper conversation as to where we are in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, loved it. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Slightly different angle today. Um, Amir um, is, I'm sure, open to chats on LinkedIn if you guys want to, want to reach out. Um, and, and, Look, if you're enjoying this show, I ask for one thing. And it's again, it's my, my vision for the, for the whole of the RAG podcast is to educate and support and bring together the global recruitment industry. So we've got a guy in Southern California and there'll be someone in Australia listening to this tomorrow. That's the beauty of what I'm trying to do. And by sharing this out to your network, to people you trust, who you think will benefit, then it's going to keep growing exponentially all the time. So please do get on there and, and, and share that to people that, that need the, this advice and the, these news stories every day. Um, I'll be back again tomorrow with more insights. In the, in the meantime, please do stay safe and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for so that involves strategy content creation distribution systems process and leads generated having been recruiters and marketeers we can not only build your brand but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. 
that small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors, we understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.